this time on episode 336 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We discuss Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, Episode 3, Alien Commies from the Future, and your feedback. I'm Chris from Play Comics, a show where we look at video games based on comic properties and how well they stick to that source material, a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other astonishingly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for your scheduled debriefing. I'm Director S.P. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., where a Marvel Comic Universe fan show. The show is recorded on Thursday, June 11th, 2020, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast area-wide via www.geeks.live. Come join our live chat as we record. Ladies, happy National German Chocolate Day. That's a holiday I can get behind. Unfortunately, there's no history to this, and specifically making it a day. So I fear this is just the National Day calendar making it into a day, but I have to say I'm okay with that because I love German chocolate cake. I mean, same. Oh, yes. What kind of ice cream would you have with German chocolate cake? Vanilla bean. French vanilla? Eh, could do. Be okay. It would do. Those seem to be the three common ones that I see in the freezer section. Yeah. I cannot have any ice cream. My lactose intolerance is to a level where I just can't eat any at all. Which really sucks because I really enjoyed the taste of ice cream. Yeah, well, they make some really good ones nowadays with, like, coconut milk. I'll have to check that. I was exploring that a couple of years ago, so I might have to get back into it. But Yeah, I'm also lactose intolerant, but mine's not bad enough that I can't just pop a couple of lactates and hope for the best yet. I'll have to do that sometime this summer because I've declined every time the family has decided, hey, we're going to go to the ice cream store. We got a great ice cream store just a couple of blocks away. And well, it's more like half a mile away. So they drive there and get in line and everything. And they always ask me before they go, do you want anything? I'm like, no, no, there's some really good like the places that make the ice cream there. Some of them have like vegan options here in Texas, even. And yeah, there's like a brand of coconut milk ice cream. It's kind of expensive, but it's really good. It's got all the creaminess. I'll have to look into that. I don't think I've seen that option before, but who knows? I haven't been looking for it, but might just have to. All right. So national German chocolate and some sort of vanilla ice cream of your choice would be yummy for me to have after this, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I hope you have some. In the meantime, let's get on with the rest of the show. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the ABC television show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the multiple Marvel small screen series, and the Marvel cinematic and comic book universes in general. Because of chest plugs. If you'd like to talk to us about 
chest plugs, please visit our website, legendsofshield.com. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can find us on Facebook at Legends of Shield Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Legends of Shield. You can see me completely lose it on YouTube at www.youtube.com slash geek. You can see if your Amazon device has a chest plug and tell your Amazon device to enable Legends of Shield skill. And remember, Legends of Shield is a proud member of the GoToGeek.com network. Though I don't know how proud they are of us. <laughs> I, I know. It's like, oh. Hey, unfortunately, Agent Haley can't join us tonight. She actually wanted to be here. She watched the episode and everything. She ran late with work. And being in a different time zone, we decided to go ahead without her. But it would have been great to have her here. We're looking forward to having her possibly next week in the meantime let's talk some agents of shield agents of shield was broadcast on abc on wednesday june 10th 2020 the episode that we're talking about is alien commies from the future lauren do you want to describe a little bit about what alien commies from the future would mean to you it sounds like a 1950s B-movie, which it was clearly intended to evoke. And there's also the fact that, as we will discuss in a bit, the episode itself takes place in Nevada, not, no, New Mexico, because of Area 51. And it's the 1950s, so it's right in the middle of the Red Scare. Oh, I loved this episode so much. I do believe that in general, Area 51 is slated to be in Nevada, not New Mexico. It is Nevada. That's what I think I was thinking, but I'm thinking Roswell, New Mexico also. Like I almost said, if you see the video, you can see me stutter with my ends. I could see that. Being from the Midwest, that whole Southwest area between California and Texas starts to get mixed up together. But yeah, okay. I. Just wanted to point that out before we get a lot of angry tweets back to us. If you're from Texas, what they teach us in geography is Texas and those 49 other lesser states. So <laughs> we um, actually appreciate everyone from all the states. We do. We do. All the states, all the countries. The District of Columbia, Puerto Rico. Guam. Mm -hmm. All the protectorates. America, Samoa, the yes. U.S. Virgin Islands, <laughs> the British Virgin Islands. Okay, we need to, Lauren, tell us about the director. Okay, why did that sounded very much like a cheerleader? Anyway, so the episode was directed by Nina Lopez Corrado, and she has 19 directing credits starting in 2012, including one of The Mentalist, one of The Librarians, one of The Flash, one of Runaways. One of the Gifted, six of Supernatural, and six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Michelle, why don't you run down the writers for the episode? There were two writers, Nora Zuckerman and Lila Zuckerman. Lila has six writing credits starting in 2010, including one Fringe, Seven Haven, Four Suits, and 
Seven Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. makes it seem as though they are a team and have been a team for a while. Ghost Sisters. I meant to go back into the IMDb credits and look, but I believe these three have been a team previously. Several times, actually, between Nina, Nora, and Lila. That sounds right. Yeah. Definitely pulled it off really well. I was, I was happy to see it. I was watching the live tweets as they were coming in. And Lauren, I believe you were handling our Twitter account last night. I was indeed. So you were doing a good job and it was just a good viewing experience. We haven't had one of these in a while. I mean, you did the same stuff the last couple of weeks, but last night just, it seemed fun. It seemed the funnest, the most fun it's been in a while. The funnestest. The fu- Yeah. All the on language stuff that SP gets screwed into. Thanks to his mom. Okay. <laughs> I did start with a Roswell-ish sort of scene where you had the, I was going to say the bus, RIP the bus. (laughs) It had Zephyr One dropping down from the sky, and we have got to talk about how all that time travel stuff works out, because they were on a pad in New York City, and all of a sudden they're high up in the desert of wherever Groom Lake is supposed to be. I think you're right. It's Nevada. Yeah. Anyway, and so the Zephyr 1 autopilot kicked in and saved them from crashing, but it looked like a UFO as it's coming down over the kids in the back of the truck. (laughs) It was great CGI, them popping in with the time bubble, with the jets firing, with them flying over the truck, and... There was just great CGI throughout this episode. It didn't dominate the episode, but it was great when it showed up. And I like that. I like the logo as it came up. It was just a great intro sequence, wasn't it, Michelle? Yes. First off, they realized that they need to fly when they do a time jump. And if you notice, the boy said he saw a UFO the previous night. And that's why he was there, which means that wherever the Chronicoms pop out, they pop out. I think that's um, another thing why that scene was there is to establish, as we learn later on, how to describe it as drifting, how they are actually coasting in the wake of the Chronicoms time jumps. So Deke brought up Days of Thunder when they were talking about (laughs) drifting. There is also that Fast and Furious drifting out there as well. It's a different sort of drifting. So technically, these are two different things. There's drifting, which is like Tokyo Drift. You just kind of skid sideways. And there's drafting, which is a thing that you see in flying bird formations, like geese specifically, with people who bike. If you watch like the Tour de France or anything like that. And what it is, is the way that the air SP knows more about this than I do. I just kind of know it because of birds. But the strongest one goes in the lead. The other people come along in their wake, and that makes it kind of easier to follow. So what they're doing is drafting along in the time space wake question mark. I've experienced this personally with cycling. So there was one time that I was cycling on the bike path and I had my hybrid, which is not the most aerodynamic bike around. It's not the fastest sort of bike around. And I got behind this guy that had a road bike or he passed me anyway. And just road bikes can go faster inherently because 
they're lighter, they have thinner tires, higher air pressure, that sort of thing, and lower aerodynamic with, you know, sitting down on the handlebars versus sitting up with the hybrid bars. I have both type of bikes myself, but I was on the bike trail with the hybrid and I actually ended up behind him. I drafted him and I should have asked. You should never just draft somebody, especially on a bicycle, without asking because they need to know that you're behind them so they don't make any sudden movements that you might crash into them and, and hurt them and you in the process. But I drafted behind him. He was clearly going probably about five miles an hour faster than I was. So let's say I was going maybe 18 miles an hour. He's going about 23 miles an hour. I slipped in behind him and using the same effort, I was able to maintain pace with him. So I was able to maintain my speed out there. So that's just an example of what could happen. You're entirely correct. Cycling is big into wind resistance and with cyclers it's not necessarily the most strongest person that's in the lead it's usually they trade out of whoever's in the lead you run it for a while and then you fall back and the number two takes the position where the number one falls back to last and they keep on cycling through the line like that for a while so nobody gets too tired unless you're really trying to push the person that's in the lead anyway that's way too much information on drifting and drafting. I actually did not know that about drafting etiquette, so I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah, it's basically you got to make sure that there's no, it, it's, it's a safety factor. Michelle, you brought up the Chromicon ship. That was interesting because I took the whole scene with the guy and his girlfriend as it was a ploy to get her up there. And she said, okay. So, I could see it going both ways. I could see the Chromicon ship coming in the night before, and I could see it just being as a ploy. I don't know. Uh, Lauren, what do you think? What Michelle said made total sense to me. They needed to be there early enough to have time to set up. And I will admit that that wasn't what I was thinking. At the time, I was thinking it was, oh, it's the Roswell sighting. And then, okay, nine-year-old conspiracy theory me is kicking myself because not only is that the wrong state, Nevada versus Roswell, New Mexico, but the Roswell sighting was in 1947. So, oops. It was close enough for the fear factor in there. Yeah, that I think is more along the line of the Barney and Betty Hill close encounter. As far as the Chromicon ship, we don't really see anything but what I would term to be like a holodeck. We don't really see what it looks like on the outside. We don't see any control surfaces, not that they really need them because they're Chromicons, but we don't see any ship. We just see a light, bright, lighted room, and that's it. Michelle, I really want to know what you thought of when you saw that room. Oh, it's a 2001 room. See, I thought of the <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> yeah. That too, but whenever there's like this dark white room in a sci-fi movie, my brain automatically kind of goes first to 2001 and then other things just because of the way my movie brain works. It's like you can see what each person's movie references are here. We have Star Trek, we have 2001, and we have The Matrix, so... <laughs> I find that interesting. Yeah, it was a white room. It could also be any of the Heaven movies out there, or Angel movies or whatever. could be that too, so. No. No. I was expecting, like, the rack of guns. (laughs) 
the equip room. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I wanted to rewatch those movies a couple months ago and I haven't yet. So I'll need to get to that. I like them. I like all three of them. There was also great, as long as we're still on the CGI, there was a great CGI when the Helios was actually activated. When you see the, the stuff going on top of it, the big round, whatever it was supposed to be, ion cloud or whatever. Also, the Chromacon that was activating it with the little electronic control rods coming out of her fibers coming out of her fingernail. Oh, I hated that. I hated that so much. Yeah, well, when you think in terms of robot. I know, but I got I had a fingernail get pulled out when I was a kid. So ever since then, fingernail stuff. Like, I can't watch. Yeah, that's an actual thing with fingernails. Yeah, like, okay, FYI, everybody listening, never stick your finger in a moving shopping cart wheel to see what would happen. The answer is, you will lose a fingernail. Lauren, come on! I didn't <sighs> do it lately. Oh my gosh. I was like seven. Haley would be so disappointed right now. All right, the other great CGI moment when... <laughs> It was with the Quinjet when they dropped off Sharp in the desert at the end where the, the for, first of all, the Quinjet had to have been CGI, but then the actual cockpit glass was opaque and being all doing the ripply futuristic colors and stuff and, and everything like that. So it reminded me of Battlestar Galactica Poor Sharp Poor Sharp, which was played by. Michael Gaston, by the way, who has 119 different acting credits. He's been an actor in a lot, a ton of TV shows, not necessarily a prime actor. And I just wrote down some of the more notable credits for people that watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was in the 1995 film Hackers. I was watching that last night. He was in the <laughs> 2000 film uh, About 13 Days which was about the Cuban Missile Crisis. He played one of the ship captains there. He was in Fringe in season one, and he also played a secondary character that was throughout a couple of seasons in The Man in the High Castle. So he's been in sci-fi stuff for a while, and action stuff for a while. If memory serves me in Hackers, I think he's also military in that. He's, I believe he, well, he might be military. I was thinking he was like a, a cop detective, but I believe his credit was lieutenant. You might be right. It's been a long time since I saw that. I say I was watching it last night. I was only watching it a little because honestly, my live tweeting yesterday was equal parts just happiness at having the episode and being really, really tired. So I really appreciate Michael Gaston. I think he did a great job of playing the retired general that was still working for the DOD that wrote the book on interrogation and resistance. And he's a complete scumbag. He got it in the end, you know, he, he got, it was his choice to go back into the diner and say what he did at the end. I know at the end, he said the thing he did. <laughs> I thought he was going to say it a lot earlier and then he didn't. Hobbies for the future. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I love the fact that they added probed. Yes. That's where the probing started. It was all Mac's fault. <laughs> we are now calibrating the nozzle. Keeping the timeline intact by <laughs> probing. <laughs> so we also get into the time travel of it, and we learn that we are going along only into the future, that they are drafting along with the Chromicons, and that if they were going to go into the past, they would need a section of the time monolith, which 
If you remember that last episode, the last five minutes of season six, they drilled into the time monolith. They took a piece out of it. And I don't know what happened after that. I don't remember them using it, but they obviously had to use it in the time drive on board Zephyr One in order to propel them backwards like they did. And the time monolith was then blown up by the Chromicons. So that is what Simmons was saying. We won't be running into that anymore. However, the time monolith is still available in the past where they are. So it's possible they could drill into it, take a section of it, and then propel themselves into the past if they had to. But that is the mechanics of the time travel that we're dealing with. That is the plutonium to the Back to the Future DeLorean. Or the Infinity Stones to more Marvel stuff. It's like you can go, it's there in the past, you can go get it. That's what I was thinking of. Yep. Uh, so Project Helios, which I was racking my brain to remember if we've run into in any of the MCU related things. And I don't think we had. And I mean, there was Pegasus about the space travel and the portals, but there wasn't Helios yet. Project Helios was about creating an ion fusion reactor, which apparently are ship killers. And I don't think we're done with this whole ion fusion reactor thing. Obviously, they haven't jumped time. So there's something still going on in 1955. Yeah, it's definitely coming back. It's Chekhov's ion weapon. Never leave an ion weapon on the mantle if you don't want to use it in Act 3. In the preview for next week, it's not a player whatsoever. Mostly has to do with a character on the show, in the preview at least. But who knows, we might be coming back to the ion fusion reactor. Can we talk about this character? Because I was so happy. And I know at least one of our listeners was also very happy. We can talk about Agent Peggy Carter. Yeah, let's talk about Agent (laughs) Peggy Carter. So we have Coulson and Simmons sneaking onto the base. They have decided to disguise Simmons as Peggy Carter because they knew she had clearance and Simmons is British. But then when we get the bus of officials and stuff, we see a familiar face from Agent Carter. This would be Enver Jokai as Daniel Souza, looking a little bit older. They put some gray in his hair. So he hears Peggy's there and he's checking himself out in the mirror and he sees not Peggy. Yeah, I just blanked out on the actress's name, Haley Atwell. I was going to say Margaret Atwood, but that's an author. It would have been great if they had one of the Black Widow's face masks on. (laughs) I honestly thought that's what they were going to do at first. But they would have to get Haley Atwell in to do that. And apparently they didn't. But I don't know. Maybe we'll see her next week. I really hope they do. I remember before the season started, we were talking on, I believe, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 332 about this. And I was about to say this is a well, well, well kept secret if they had Peggy Carter on Haley Atwell, because it would be big news. That and based on that, I I just don't think it's going to happen. However, Marvel's surprised us before Nick Fury in Iron Man, for instance. So I don't know. We'll see. Yep. And uh, him saying that (laughs) that Simmons had a really bad fake British accent just (laughs) made me smile. Which was really funny to me because when 
they said that, my mind went to Elizabeth Henstridge's Hallmark holiday movie, which she played an American, and she was having a tough time disguising her British accent, trying to be an American. Yes. And I'm like, that's a terrible accent. I mean, she's actually British, so her accent is natural, and I just, uh, I just had a laugh over that. So I love accents and I love accent study. And I've noticed that a lot of British actors or Australian actors, for that matter, when it's time for them to do a movie with their playing an American, the first thing I think it's like the baby step is a Southern accent. Because if you look at language drift, the Southern accent, as we know it, is very heavily inspired by the Scottish and Irish accents of the settlers who moved there. And so it's kind of easy to be like, okay, well, I know what this accent sounds like. I can kind of slow it down and do the same thing. Like if you watch Ewan McGregor in Big Fish, his American accent's gotten a lot better, but he had the most exaggerated Southern accent in Big Fish. <laughs> he did. I, rem- I watched the movie once, and yes, that is my memory from the movie. Michelle, we talked about this last week. We talked about the powers of Yo-Yo. We talked about May. Why don't you bring us through how that storyline progressed in this episode? This is interesting. First, we had the conversation with Yo-Yo and Mac in the diner. And she confessed that she thinks there's something wrong with her powers because of the the strike. And I just, you know, Mac was very supportive. and, And he was just like, you know, you're still a good agent. Didn't make her feel like. I think that's what she was worried about. You know, oh, I'm yo-yo, I'm fast. That's why I'm here. And Max like, no, you're, you're more than that. And then we had that scene with May and yo-yo going in. They had a really good plan. They had masks. I really love them going in as pilots. That was great. And then they had those masks and they did everything. And then May had a panic attack. All those, you know, the smoke and then all those people around, I think it took her back to the fight in the alternate world where she had, if you remember in the episode, she had flashes back to fighting and then there were all these people and arms and stuff around her. And I think that moment where she was in that room, it it reminded her of that. And she actually had a panic attack and... That is a very real thing. And I was almost like, I really feel for May, but then I am also kind of glad we saw it because it shows that May's attitude in the past, like the last two, the last episode in the beginning of this was more of a, I think, defense mechanism trying to just block everything out. I'm Melinda May. I'm the Calvary. I protect. That's what I am in this brick wall. And now we're seeing that, okay, it was just, she actually has feelings and a regular response. So while I am worried about her, that whole, if she's like not human thing, I think that part of it, we can put to bed. We, We know that May's human. She's just going through some stuff. Yeah, I actually, that was one of the moments I wanted to talk about because, first of all, that was a very realistic filming of a panic attack and what it looks, what it feels like, what it looks like, can't catch your breath, etc. Slightly related, slightly unrelated. 
There's a book that I love. It's by an author named John Ronson. It's called The Psychopath Test. And as one section of the book mentions that people with like panic disorder, anxiety and stuff are probably not psychopaths, sociopaths, people with limited empathy because that type of reaction is caused by certain hormones, certain reactions. It's a fear reaction. And kind of related, the chronicoms don't really have a huge emotional range. I was worried. I have been very worried since the start of the season. Did May get replaced by a chronicom? Did they steal her face? No, we know that now. Like Michelle said, it's a defense mechanism. And slightly also related, kind of bouncing off that, we see Simmons and Coulson testing people for emotional responses. When I was watching, I was like, oh, it's like the Voight-Kampf test from Blade Runner. And then Coulson says, like, the one thing that everyone remembers from that whole sequence in Blade Runner with the turtle. Wanted to try it. And the poor old lady is, why are you asking? Why would I do that? Why? That was so great. Also, John Wayne, not a really big deal. Moist. I don't have a problem with the word moist. Yeah. And Jimmy Stewart, you always pick Jamie Stewart. <laughs> is that how you're supposed to pick? Yes. Okay. Well, we also had a lot of great, we were talking a little bit about it. We had some great fight choreography. We had Colson and Chromacon fight back and forth. I was actually trying to watch if it was actually Clark Gregg doing some of the moves and they blurred his face a little bit, but I don't know if that was just the fast action or not. I can guarantee you it was not him for most of it. The way that they cut that is so you see this a lot on TV shows like Buffy was where I first noticed it when I was younger, where they'll show when you see somebody from behind, when you aren't looking at their face, it's a stunt double. Okay. Well, regardless, it was nice to see the fight. It was very impactful. You had two basically machines because that's what they are going after it right in front of Sousa. So that'll be interesting how that plays out with the LMD Phil Coulson. And then what is going on with his eyes? I was wondering if maybe the Chromacon infiltrated the LMD. So we'll see next time. Yeah, that was the color flashed from kind of like greenish gray to orangish. I thought it was white, but yeah. Kind of like an orangish. Yeah. Yeah. So usually in creature features, robot movies, whatever. The red signs are the signs of evil. So my initial thought is, oh no, Coulson's evil. It wasn't just that, it was the music that was behind it as well. I was paying attention, I watched it twice, and the second time I was really paying attention to that whole thing. Something just hit me. Like, physically? Um, no, for once. Oh, okay. Yeah, I am very clumsy, if there's any new listeners. As you can probably tell by the fingernail story but we still have that dangling thread of ghostwriter and colson selling his soul who else has orange that would be awesome a ghostwriter lmd wow wait didn't they settle that before when colson knew he was dying that's why he took the deal yeah you're probably right but what if though oh gosh but that would be fun it would be they took his brain scan from the framework, 
which was pre Ghost Rider, right? Because Ghost Rider was the next year. Yeah. Or, or was Ghost Rider that season? Ghost Rider was that, it's that season. It was Ghost Rider the first half. Yeah. Yeah. And Ghost Rider did come back for that final episode. So it could be. That would be interesting. Yeah. It would solve a dangling thread since they said the the actual brain scan was at that point with the framework. And for anybody nitpicking, yeah. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> Way to go, producers, if that's where you're going to go. Yeah. I have no idea if that's where, but just what if, though? <laughs> Fanfic moment. So the other great action scene was the May and Yo-Yo fight with the Chromicon. You kind of had two issues with that. You had the slow motion as they're going in and, and storming the little science bay there. But really, the fight takes place out on the Helios pad as they're going back and forth with the Chromicon and fighting for their lives, literally. And uh, it was just the action that we got in the episode and I thought it was well done and, and yes, uh, stunt doubles probably, but that was pretty cool. Now, Michelle had asked a question before we went live about the EMP electromagnetic pulse. Theoretically, if you have a strong enough EMP, you could go beyond the Faraday cage of the concrete bunker, which is a Faraday cage. I say that because all the rebar that is, inherently in concrete so it could theoretically do that or maybe they're transmitting it through some lines that are going out to the helios pad and then you can take out electronics with it an emp can be manufactured just on your own it is inherent in a nuclear destination and also solar events could cause an emp However, we had seen before with Ada that she had protected herself against the EMPs. And if Coulson went down, I'm wondering if Fitz did not take that into account when he created the Coulson as an LMD. I'm assuming Fitz was involved in that. I know he was using Chromacon technology, but for, I guess if the Chromacons are going to go down, Fitz would have to go down or uh, uh, Coulson would have to go down with that. But that is, in essence, what's happening is you just have a big enough pulse that disrupts all the electronic electricity pulses that are back and forth. And if you're not shielded, it can fuse some connections, some power relays, that sort of thing. So that's why it took everybody down. My issue is that Simmons, she's smart, but her expertise is in the biological areas. And for her to create an EMP out of what she had, I would think that you would have... A Deke could probably do it better than her, but for her to do it, I'm thinking... She was working with Daisy. Right, but Daisy doesn't exactly know anything about the EMPs either. She's a hacker. She's not an electronics genius. Maybe she had time to learn while she was with the Chronicoms. That's what I was thinking, is that in preparing for this whole thing, that Fitz and her ramped up her skill set a little bit for that. But his story, unless there's some explanation in there. Maybe they used a version of the framework to download the knowledge in her head like the Matrix. Deke did recreate the framework, so I'm not going to say that's not yeah. an impossibility. All right. That's the whole EMP thing. So, Michelle, are you okay with that explanation? Yes, thank you. Okay. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Very yes. First off, because it's quicker 
when we see Daniel again, he's using a cane. He is still disabled. And at some point, he hits somebody with a cane. And yeah, a nice solid wooden cane. Yes, uh, disabled people can be badasses. So I'm glad they kind of kept him in, kept the limp in, didn't somehow retcon it that, oh, he's gotten used to walking with the prosthetic because prosthetics weren't that great up until, honestly, fairly recently. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is once again on the show, we see them bringing in, you know, race because, hey, guess what? The 1950s were super racist. We have that guy, General Sharp using horrible language and may brings up that somebody called her a slur and when they're talking to deke about hey you can go establish a rapport with him and he's like why and you know all three people who are visible minorities black asian and mexican well latin american she's the character is i believe mexican-american but the actresses i want to say like colombian or something but they're looking at him and they're like, don't make me say it. And Deke walks away. He's like, stupid white privilege. And it's, it, I laughed so hard. Somehow this show always seems to come along at a really timely moment. We saw it last time. Was it last time? Maybe it was the season before. Whatever it was with the framework, there was some choice remarks in there. With this... I really, really like that they aren't letting us forget, hey, the past was racist. I mean, now is racist too, but things were a lot more overt in a lot of sense in the past. Like, there's not an idealized view of the 1930s or the 1950s. And yeah, you, you kind of can't talk about America in specific without mentioning the racism. And at the time, also, you have the Red Scare, oh, we're looking for commies. And that was used as an excuse to discredit or blacklist a lot of people who were left of the absolute rightist political opinions. And again, I like that they brought that in because that was totally a thing at the time. And I'm glad that they aren't ignoring it. And for anybody wondering, they did shoot this last year. It was written and shot in 2019. Nora Zuckerman came on her Twitter account and said that it was not dubbed in because Deke was facing away from the camera. I watched it the second time when the stupid white privilege comment was made. So this was in the script last year, as well as the restaurant scene. This was not something that ABC or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Marvel changed because of the current climate it was in there last year so good on you marvel good on you agents of shield team you were way ahead of things and from that aspect is i mean we've talked about marvel comics and and how it's the minorities a suspect left right and backwards but they do good things too yeah that was my big happy moment like oh hey they are not dropping this. Michelle, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? No, I'm good. Okay. I enjoyed it. It was just a fun episode from the beginning with the logo that looked like it was from, from a 50s scary alien movie all the way to the end where you had everybody, you know, left, right and backwards, dif different 
situations that they have to get themselves out of. Sousa coming in with the Agent Carter crossover. This is going to be a fun one. I'm consider the, so the first two episodes was basically a, a two parter. I'm considering this at least a two parter. We'll see if they get out of this time zone at the end of the next episode or not. If they do, then it was two two parters. But it's at least a two parter as they're in the time zone. It's just going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Ah, what's your favorite episode so far this season, Lauren? This one, Michelle. Yeah, this one. It was so fun. Again, I love b movies so that whole bringing that kind of aesthetic into it i loved it looks like they're having a blast they probably did they knew this was the last season so they were just having fun filming with each other i don't think they did because yeah i think it was announced that season seven would be the last when they picked up season six it's just when it was announced they were upset when it was announced Remember, it was announced right before a convention, and they were just, they were visibly upset. Well, remember, uh, the show thought it was the end after season five, and then Disney stepped in and said, can you do a couple more seasons for us? And so these are the bonus packs. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. I think they were probably hoping to get another bonus pack. Yeah, I don't think any of them are ready to give up the roles yet. And personally, I'm, I mean, having just got them back, I'm not ready for them. Like before this, I was like, oh yeah, it'll be nice. You know, they go out on their own terms and everything like that. And I'm watching and I'm like, don't leave me. It'll be um, a sore spot when this show leaves, but we do have Disney plus. So we're going to see this MCU era continue on TV. Uh, Let me punctuate that mcu era because all the tv shows are directly related to the mcu the only direct relation we have here is that we had hill fury and colson on for whatever that means everything else could have happened in the same universe or not you know the the whole cleanup in london scene after thor that could happen that could not happen i don't know Anyway, excited for the future here, and we have some great feedback to discuss now. So first off, we have a tweet from at Andy Migna, and from the recap, Daisy ordering Deke to take the shot. How did you see it? Her being so ruthless so no new General Talbot would be created? I'm still against her action. What do y'all think about the Daisy thing? I think we've discussed it, but... We did not discuss it in depth last time. I think the conversation that Daisy and Deke had over the table in Zephyr 1 was needed, and I'm glad they went back to it because Deke was basically telling her, no, don't do that. Don't do that at all. And he brings up a great point you're not the boss of me and she's not she gave up the role of director yes she's the more she's been an agent longer but she's not the boss she gave that up you know there's always the would you kill baby hitler if you could go back in time but if you're the one holding the gun and stuff and you see a kid like what are you going to do and yeah they might know okay this guy's going to grow up and he's you know part of the foothold hydra gets but he's still a kid And I think Simmons said we could go to a future that we wouldn't recognize. People think, okay, yes, killing 
him would have been causing a dam, as Teak explained it. It doesn't mean that things would have necessarily been better. It's not just one thread. We're learning that now. It's a system, and you have to be able to take the system apart. Also, I think Deke's really strong emotions on it was that he disappointed director McKenzie and he never wanted to be put in that position again. So his allegiance, you know, he's not a shield agent. He's from a future that never happened anymore. And he came back and he really loves the shield team. And Mac is the leader of the team. Even Colson has diverted over to Mac a few times and he does not want to get on Mac's bad side. Daisy, on the other hand, has been uh, able to cross uh, directors and and people in power before. I mean, she's a hacker. She's a, a revolutionary. It's what she does. There's also the fact that while she's like, oh, you were from that future. You could have done that. And he's like, yeah, used to. Now I am a different person. He's this is somebody who came from a horrible situation to a really good situation. He's been living a pretty good life. He's made friends. He's not having to watch his back and wonder where his food's coming from constantly. As we've seen, he, he's a lot more of, a, of an innocent in a lot of ways. It's interesting that Andy Mingna brought up General Talbot because General Talbot was ultimately the person that Daisy herself had to take out. So that was a good callback right there. Yes, you're talking about Freddy being the genesis of Hydra, at least the modern Hydra in America. But if you're looking at how that evolved to Daisy, her biggest bad that she has fought was General Talbot. So that was just interesting. Yeah, there's also the fact that he thought he was doing everything for the right reasons, too. Hero in each individual story. We also have a tweet from at Adana Girl. So this is regarding a tweet that she quote tweeted to us from at Fluffy Fitz. They're going to save Sousa and take him with them on their adventures through time. And then his story is going to end with them dropping him off at the Battle of New York. And Jokai, who played Daniel Sousa, was also a cop in Avengers. So Adana Girl said, in order for this to work, Fitzsimmons will need to give him a badass leg like Yo-Yo and her new arm prosthetics. Pretty sure he could not be an active duty police officer as an amputee. While it would be, I think, the easy answer to be like, oh, the reason they're both played by the same actor is because they're the same character. I'd love the idea of them bringing him with them, especially after what we saw last week uh, in the trailer for next week's episode. But I don't think we're going to see him as that cop. Yeah, that would be a plot loop closed for the MCU, not for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I don't think Jeff Loeb, Jeff Bell, I don't think the showrunners, I don't think anybody is interested in doing that for the MCU on this show. That's just my two cents. All right, we actually had another email from OH4 who thanked us for reading his feedback on the previous episode. He gave us a much longer feedback email this week. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read part of it. And he said that was okay because it was a lot and he just wanted to get it out to us. So there's two things, two paragraphs, two points 
that he wrote that I want to read. Quote, I'm still processing, but this may be my favorite episode in years. It mixed everything good about the older mission oriented episodes of S.H.I.E.L.D. with all the threats and tools that have been piling up in the last few seasons. Then he goes on to say, all in all, it was a great and fun episode and exactly the kind of content I wanted from this season. Can't wait to see where the Coulson cliffhanger leads and how they get him back from S.H.I.E.L.D. before that ripple turns into a wave, unquote. So thank you very much for that, OH4. I think we're all in pins and needles on how that's going to turn out for Coulson. There's one more thing from this email that I wanted to read. The idea that EMPs are the best weapons against the Chronicoms. Side note, Ada had EMP-proof batteries even before Ratcliffe got a hold of the Darkhold. Why are the Chronicoms not as smart as Ratcliffe? I mean, fair point. Yeah, that's why I was bringing up the Chronicoms before. It wasn't because I thought about it. It was because of this email here. So thank you very much, 084, on that. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's just the way that they decided to play it. Also, we didn't see Enoch. And remember what I said last time is that he would have to have the time to get to them. First of all, recognize that the time travel had happened. And second of all, be able to get to him because he's hanging out with S.H.I.E.L.D. in New York City. Who knows where he is right now? So that's interesting if Enoch is going to be able to link back up with them next episode as well. If you have feedback to get to us, you can tweet us at Legends of Shield. You can also email me, StargatePioneer at GunnaGeek.com, just like 084 has been. Ladies, I think that's the last feedback. I think we need to... (laughs) We don't want to threaten to probe people on our way out. (laughs) I mean, we could. Draft this one out while probing people. I was going to say we are going to create our studios into the flying saucers and try to terrorize our neighborhoods. I mean, I'm game if y'all are. Sure. We're going to do all that and we're going to get on out of here. Thank all of our listeners, you, our listener, and if you're viewing this on YouTube, thank you very much for staying with us through our coverage of the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're three episodes down, which means we have 10 episodes left. I'm looking forward to these 10 episodes, especially how they're started to set up. Everything is looking good. Also, I want to say a special thank you to everybody that has gone ahead and reviewed the podcast on the various sites that we are on in specific apple podcasts if you haven't done that already we would love to hear what you think about the show of course five star review and everything would be great but we really want to hear how you like the show and when we're having a bad day it's great to be able to go there and see the great reviews that you guys have put on there because it really just makes us get through bad days as we all have when we're recording the podcast also if you don't have any access into Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Podchaser, which you can find at podchaser.com, is a great place to find the show and write a review over there. And when you do write a review, let us know and we'll go back and we'll make sure that we read it on the show. We're really looking forward to hearing more about how you like the show in this last year. We're not going away, but this is the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is why this podcast was created to begin with. I want to thank everybody who gets a hold of us for feedback and right now specifically the people who 
you know, live tweet along with us or live tweet their own viewing if you're in a different time zone. We really, really love seeing how much y'all love the show. It just, it's always fun when your excitement is contagious. So thank you so much. It makes me smile. Yes, thank you for everyone who listens, especially when I'm having a day. <laughs> Looking at the chest. The chest. I've just had a day, okay? I've had a day. Yeah, that's we've all had days. It's understandable. Yeah, especially recently. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Lauren. And I'm Agent Michelle. We'll see you guys <laughs> next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. How are you? Okay. Oh, it's Lauren joining us. Yay. Yep. She said she's getting the last feedback in there right now. So is everything okay? Oh, my back hurt. Number one, getting old sucks. Number two, back sucks. It's my desk chair. Ah. I want to, I think I might have to go get a new one, but. Uh. I've been thinking about the next chair after this and i would like to check out one of the professional gaming chairs because they're supposed to be meant for this sort of stuff but in reality what i think i'm going to do especially since these chairs these roller chairs leave marks on the carpet i've actually heard from professional gamers that high-end office chairs are better well i was thinking of going with a nice I don't know what you want to call it. Maybe sitting room chair, a conference room chair, something like that. Something that has uh, no wheels on it because these wheels leave marks on on the carpet. And if I recarpet, I don't want to. You get one of those plastic thingies. Yeah, but it, it, yes, that's what I would do. But it doesn't cover everything. So she's trying to get her camera to work. Saw that. A bad time for a camera to go out because they are impossible to find. Really? Oh, yeah. When the pandemic started, everybody wanted a, a webcam to, to stream and look as good as they can. So the stock of mm-hmm. C920s and C922s, they got bought up. You can't buy one anywhere. I say it. I haven't checked stock in a while, but see if Amazon hasn't. Nope. Now, I think Logitech wanted to get, oh yeah, 150 bucks for a C920. I think Logitech wanted to go up to a 4K one. Not that a lot of bandwidths can support that, but they wanted to do that. And I think they did a soft release and it uh, didn't quite work.
There she is. Hey. Hey. Hi. It was connecting to some weird thing. Lauren, I don't want to know what you're weirdly streaming outside of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> well, on happy news, I'm getting a new mic tomorrow. Yeah? Which one did you go with? Uh, Rode NT1. I think I have my um, closet soundproofed enough that a condenser mic could be good. Is everybody set? I just hit record. All right, go ahead and hit record. Yep. Look at this party started. Woo! Boom. Oh, uh, we neither of us saw any uh, news items, so we're just going to skip that portion. That's fair. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's not going to be news for a while. I mean, yeah, small inkling. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of... Well, officially, Hollywood can start filming again tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's a really, really bad idea. I think it's a really bad idea, too, but... Yeah. People are going to want content, and people are going to want money. Yeah. Uh, blown in and stuff like that, so... yeah. There's already <laughs> enough money to... But, okay. <laughs> We're finding out that rich, white guys are Batman. They want to spend all their money on toys and not helping the people in the world. Because if Bruce Rain really wanted to help Gotham, he would, he would, he's basically like, he's like the Jeff Bezos of DC, right? He would invest in Gotham. He would give people jobs. He would open up schools with small class sizes. He would open up like a hospital with good health care that wasn't run for profit. He yep. would be developing pharmaceuticals and his insulin would cost $5. Like that's what Bruce Wayne, that's how, that's how you save Gotham, Bruce. You yep. don't spend all your money dressing up like a bad <laughs> going, I'm going to beat up bad guys. Let no. me beat up the mentally ill. I yeah. mean, yeah. sake, Batman. Yeah, I like, love like, Batman, but it's a thing that doesn't hold up to a lot of thought. Yeah, especially since it's a rich white guy. <laughs> okay. I'm not rich, but as the white guy here, I'm just cowering. I, I feel like I can't say anything here just because I'm a white guy. It's just, it's rich white guys. Yeah, you can say stuff. It's just that when people of color are like, but this is my experience, it also kind of, I mean, hell, I honestly have less of a space to talk than my sister, who is about 10 shades darker than me. Because we don't have the same lived experience. Nope. Yep. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Does she also live in Texas? Yeah, she actually lives about 10 minutes south of me. So we're living in the same city for the first time since 2002. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah, it's... We've repaired our relationship, so that's good. That is good. I think 1991... One nineteen ninety one would be the last year I was with my family in the same relative area. Yeah, my parents are so happy that we're only two hours away now instead of like five. Right. Well, five hours away that would be awesome for me because I'm depending on traffic thirteen to fifteen. That is good. And road construction. Up until I was thirteen, 
all my relatives on my mom's side of the family, all my aunts and uncles and most of my cousins all live in the same small town. So it's been weird being a part of them for most of my life now. Yeah, there's a lot of shared experiences that my kids don't have because we were not around any sort of family when we were growing up. We met with friends and, and everything, but they didn't get the big you know cousin draw that I had growing up. So they just don't understand the whole big family thing. But I don't know. Hopefully they'll, they'll eventually get to it. Or maybe we're just destined to be distributed throughout the United States now. I don't know. And other places. Who knows? I won't limit it to the United States. Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a fan-based podcast on the ABC television show Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the multiple Marvel small screen series, and the Marvel cinematic and comic book universes in general. Because of chest plugs. Oh, you said ch- Okay. What did you hear? Hi. <laughs> She was looking where you were pointing, uh, which is in your general I, chest area, but I could see I, the confusion. Yeah. The chestal region. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I put a B in there instead of a C. I'm sorry. Okay. Wishful thinking. <laughs> if you'd like to talk to us about chest plugs, please visit our website, legendsofshield.com. Michelle, why don't you run down the writers for the episode? There were two writers, Nora Zuckerman and Lila Zuckerman. Yes, they are sisters. I was trying to make sure that those were two L's, okay? (laughs) Michelle's had a day, all right? All right. All right, good. I'm glad we got this established. All right, so Nora has eight writing credits starting in 2006, including Seven Desire, One Fringe, Seven Haven, Four Suits, and seven episodes of Agents of Sale. Lila has six writing credits starting in 2010, including One Fringe, Seven Haven, Four Suits, and Seven Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Makes it seem as though they are a team and have been a team for a while. Go Sisters! Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is copyright 2013 through 2020.